Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Verse number three. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. Amen. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that we feel in this house. Aren't you glad to be able to feel the refreshing hand, the Spirit, and the presence of the Lord? Matthew 5 and 3, the Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to preach to you tonight from the very title of that song, I Need Thee. Amen. There's never a day that we don't need the Lord. As a matter of fact, I need him more today than I have ever needed him in my life. Amen. You may be seated in the fear of the Lord. This past Sunday, we had the Richardson family missionaries to Madagascar with us, and I certainly enjoyed their presentation and was encouraged by the testimony of what God is doing in that particular region of the world. I've thought over and over again as They begin to talk about a grandfather and grandmother who went to a country not knowing the language, not knowing anything, and then just by faith to step out and not only just step off of an airplane but into a a brand new chapter of their life and then to see what God has done through the years and now uh, multiple generations of people that are still serving even from their family. What a great compliment that is. Uh, to their grandparents. But while Sister Richardson spoke, she talked about the meager wages that the people were paid for their work. And uh, I know we're all shocked when we hear those small figures and wonder how anyone could even survive. But then she added a comment almost in passing, but it was just something that stood out to me. And, And she said, although they only make these meager wages, they are, very, they are a very content people. And uh, I, I'm, I am very serious when I tell you that from the very moment she said that until this very moment I stand here, that statement has just echoed over and over and over in my mind. It just resonated with me and this morning as I begin to Uh, read over some scriptures and try to get some direction for this evening. I felt somewhat drawn to Matthew 5 and 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, it, it seems like that we have so much in some areas of our lives and then we are woefully wanting in other areas. And, uh, just to set everybody at ease tonight, I'm not going to be preaching against having things. Amen. In case you think that's where we're going. But uh, the Bible just says, 
blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, Jesus didn't say blessed are the poor, even though that's the way Luke recorded it. I don't think that's the nature of the passage. Jesus was saying blessed are the poor in spirit. There's something about that poverty in spirit. And so I don't think that we can afford to miss this at all. I've read several things today in study that have piqued my interest and I, I hope that it is something that will, that will some, somehow challenge you in your heart as well. I think there are a few things that most all of us could agree on and, and that is this. I, I've met several people in my lifetime that were just so self-absorbed. Have you ever met people like that? They're just so infatuated with themselves in almost every area of their lives. But I will tell, tell you tonight that the one common thread I think that I see in people that are like that is that there is no detectable sense of happiness in their lives. It's all about them, all about me, so to speak, but they're not happy. There's a lack of contentment. And maybe they have things, maybe they have a lot of things, but there is a detectable sense of unhappiness. On the other hand, some of the happiest are some of the most contented people that I have ever met have learned the fine art of how to give themselves to others. I don't think it's our happiness or contentment is just found in the absence of things. That's not what I'm speaking about at all. But I believe that, that there's something about the value of learning how to minister to others. The word ministry, I think, must always be accompanied by the word humility. There should always be something about the ministry of the church that has uh, a detectable sense and a detectable trace of humility. The Bible talks about preaching the truth, but there is that insertion that kind of balances the scale that we must preach the truth in love. There must be a sense of humility. They go hand in hand, and I truly believe nothing less will do. That is the baseline for contentment. You've never lived... And truly, you've never lived until you have given someone something that has no means of returning it or giving back. That whatever you give them, I'm not just talking about monetary things, but whatever you give them, they have no way of repaying that whatsoever. And that is what a life of humility is all about and a life of service truly is all about. In the mid-1960s, Jimmy Bradley sat on his third-grade classroom, sat in his third-grade classroom, staring at a picture on page 98 of his history book. It was a picture of his father. The photograph depicts a very familiar uh, scene for all of us, or at least most of all of us. It depicts soldiers planting a flagpole in the, into the rocks of Hiroshima. If you'll put that there, one of the soldiers was Jimmy's father, John Bradley. John Bradley is the man second from the right. This photograph became symbolic for us as a nation concerning World War II, and Jimmy's father was a part of that history. He was right there, right there in the middle of the picture on his son's history book page. Jimmy's teacher drew the class's attention to the photograph and to the man in the middle of that picture and, and he said, I want you, everyone class, I want you to know that this is Jimmy's father. The teacher then said, John Bradley is a hero and his son 
is sitting right here with us. Jimmy was so proud. He was as proud as any son could have been. And he just couldn't wait for the afternoon to end. And when his father came home from work, he couldn't hardly wait to share with him what had happened in the classroom. He, as a matter of fact, brought his history book home from school. And so he said, I want you to come here. I want, you to sh I want to show you something. And when his father walked over there, there he was pointing at the picture. And Jimmy said to his dad, he said, my teacher said that you're a hero and she wants to know if you'll speak to our class. However, Jimmy was somewhat surprised by his dad's reaction. He said, Jimmy, the real heroes are the men who came home in body bags. That was all he said. No war stories, no embellishments. Jimmy's dad didn't say another word about it until six years later. It was an ordinary evening sitting at home watching television when Jimmy asked his dad about it again. And all he could get out of his dad was that he has spent the majority of his life trying to forget those memory terrors of war. And he said, I just don't want to talk about it. But in a few minutes, his father just seemingly let down a shield of defense and began to speak about one particular incident that happened in that war. He talked about a friend that was from Milwaukee and they shared a foxhole. Someone cried out for a courtsman, so Bradley left the foxhole to go and treat the wounded. When he returned, his buddy was gone, and nobody knew where he was. They found out a few days later that the enemies had captured and indeed killed him. Jimmy was speechless and never violated his father's privacy again to ask anything about the war. However, after his father passed in 1994, Jimmy discovered while going through some of his dad's belongings, a Navy cross with an official citation among his father's private belongings. As it turned out on the third day of the assault, of the assault John Bradley witnessed the enemy kill a soldier with, a, with machine gun fire. He grabbed his medical bag and ran across 30 yards of gunfire to a fallen comrade. He shielded the soldier while he administered first aid and then pulled the Marine back to safety. John Bradley never breathed one word of this to anyone. Two sergeants and a captain reported what Bradley did, and as an end result, he was awarded the Navy Cross. However, Jimmy's teacher was right. John Bradley was a hero. He was a great man. And like most great men, they don't talk a lot about their accomplishments. They don't have to because people recognize greatness when they see it. Besides, a truly great person, a real great person, knows the spirit of humility. And so when the Bible talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit, being poor in spirit certainly includes humility, but it is far deeper than that. Those who are poor in spirit have a right assessment, a balanced assessment as to who they really are, good, bad, and ugly. The book of Romans 12 and 3 says, For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I certainly don't think this scripture is about trying to rob us or strip us of any self-confidence. I don't think God wants the church to be anemic, walking around dragging one leg per se. But, but Paul was trying to say to the church that our faith must be in God. Our hope and our trust 
must be in that one single one that can help us. And so he said, you must be very, very careful that we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. But we need to think soberly. We need to think balanced. And we need to let God be that source of strength. This was a word by spoken by one of the most humble men in all the Bible, yet he was one of the most credentialed men. If anybody could have been proud and haughty, if anybody had the story to back up or the life to back up any story, it was certainly the Apostle Paul. This same man would later write to the Philippian church and say this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It wasn't Paul relying on his own education, his own finesse. It wasn't Paul relying on his own strength, but he realized if anything is accomplished, it will only be accomplished because God puts his hand of favor upon what we're trying to do. And so Paul was honest about his strength. And so those who are poor in spirit are humble and honest about not just their strengths, but they're honest about their weaknesses They're not ashamed to be totally dependent upon God. Those who are poor in spirit don't have a false inflated sense of self-worth, but they really understand who they are and who they aren't. Amen. There's no one that knows us quite like we know ourselves, and so we must stop pretending. And, And we know our strengths, and we know our weaknesses. We know what we can accomplish, and we know what we might need some assistance with. And so I pray that the the Bible's verse that we're considering tonight would pierce our heart to realize that that we need to be dependent upon God. It's not about what we can pull off, what we can do, but we need the Spirit of God to help us. We must know our weaknesses and we must have a broken spirit when we come before the presence of the Lord. I'll read a little bit more of this later, but Psalms 51 and 17 The Bible says the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. There's just something about humility that garners the attention of God. Amen. I believe that pride, and I think there's enough scriptures to validate that pride has the opposite effect. But I need the Spirit of God to help me understand the value of a brokenness and a contriteness. And and it's that spirit and that attitude that always gains the attention of heaven. I suppose that it all boils down to this. The poor in spirit understand that when it comes to spiritual matters, we are just absolutely dependent upon God. If you need your yard cut, well, we could probably handle that. If you need a door painted, there, there's probably enough strength, talent, and ability in this building to accomplish that. But if your needs vary out into the spiritual realm, I want you to know something. We're going to have to have God help us with that matter. We're going to need the Spirit of God to anoint us. No matter how great the mountain or how, how meager the challenge appears before us, we need the Spirit and the presence of God. I want to be dependent upon Him. We can't come to the Lord without this great sense of need. There's an old song, an old hymn. We don't hear it a whole lot anymore. But it's an old song. I'm not sure I heard it a whole lot in church years ago. But it's an old song that says, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Perhaps we're very familiar with the chorus and a few portions of the rest of the song. But there's, there's a powerful message that's hidden within, uh, I believe, the second verse. It's one of the most transparent statements that you'll ever read. It says, Nothing in my hand 
I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come thee for dress, helpless to look to thee for grace. Foul I fly to the fountain, to, foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Amen. I, I don't know what was going on in the mind of the heart of the writer. I don't know what was going on when they picked up the pen and began to place it to the paper, but it's very evident. I can come to you with nothing in my hand, but I'm going to cling to the cross. I've got nothing that I can really bring to the table, and I, I, I know it's a little plain here, but naked come to thee for dress. I'm just coming to you. I have nothing to offer. I need you. I must have you. If I make it in this world, it is the rock of ages that will, that will be there for me. Amen. I need you, Lord. If I don't have you, I will not be able to live. I believe the writer makes one thing abundantly clear, and that is that God and God alone is the only Savior of this world. If we are, if we are to be saved, we're going to need God. If we're going to make it, we're going to need God. God. I'm going to tell you today it, it really won't matter how much talent we have when we're standing at the end of ourselves. It won't matter how much ability we possess if we are standing at the end of ourselves. But if the Spirit of God can anoint the the place where we cannot go. If I can get to where I can go, if I can let the Lord help me to go as far as I can, but when I get there, I need the Spirit of God to minister. We need the Lord. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. There won't be a time in the stillness of the night that we could be awakened and not need the Lord. There will not be one moment in the afternoon that we don't need the Lord. It's not just a Sunday and Wednesday thing, friend. Please don't ever be fooled by that. It's not just a church camp meeting thing every now and then, but we need the Lord every waking hour of our lives. I need thee. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace, Paul said, are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And I love verse number 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul knew, he knew us, he knew what the fabric we're cut out of. And if we could get there with works, we would be crowing about it, we'd be singing about it, we'd be signing our own autographs to that. But he said, it is the gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest we should boast. And so we must come to him with poorness or poverty in our spirit. If we are to enjoy any measure of success at all, then we must abide in him with the same attitude. John records some of the words of Jesus that absolutely are worthy of our time here this evening. John 15 and 1, this is what Jesus said. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. You can't just snip off the branch and have any hope of any fruit, any harvest, but you got to abide together because that is where our strength, 
Verse number five, he said, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and he is withered. And then men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. I pray tonight that we can understand that this passage needs no commentary. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And friend, you just can't get by without me. You can't get along without me. It doesn't matter how lush the limb. It doesn't matter how much shade the tree offers. But when you cut it down, it won't take long in this summer heat. It won't take long until the leaves begin to wither. They begin to turn. And what once had signs of such life now have no signs of life at all. And so Jesus said, you need to understand it's about me abiding in you and you abiding in me. It's not just about me because he said I committed myself to man. It's not just about me because I said it's gonna be through the foolishness of preaching that the lost are gonna be saved. But the preacher needs to understand one thing, that I'm the vine and you're just the branch. The church has to understand one thing, he is the vine and we're just the branch and if we try to do it without him we'll find out just how much strength we don't have we don't have oh God help us today if being poor in spirit is so important then I need to know the signs or the characteristics of being poor in the spirit and so I want to briefly take a look at some of the attributes that someone may possess that is poor in the spirit. <clears throat> someone that's poor in the spirit is weaned or freed from his own self, self-reliance. David said in Psalms 131 and 2, I'll just read this, my soul is even weaned as a child, he said. And so what we have to do is we have to get over us. Amen. The I got it mentality. I'll handle it. I'll take care of it. I've got to be weaned of myself. It's hard for a person to get weaned from self because we constantly feel like we can fix things when we really need to just take it to the Lord and say, I need you to help me with this matter. Amen. So how do we know that we're poor in spirit? We know by one thing is that we are dependent, unashamedly dependent upon the Lord. It's not about looking weak. It's not about appearing strong. It's about saying, God, I am reliant upon you. I need you. Someone that is poor in spirit prays to the Lord with the utmost sense of adoration. It's not a spirit of, well, here I am again, Lord, but there is a sense and a spirit of adoration. I, I hope that this makes sense to you, but I've, I've, I've heard people pray that have adoration in their voice. They have adoration in their, in their words. There's just something about their prayers to God. You can really tell they love the Lord. Amen. You can tell when people love one another. You can tell by their eyes. You can tell by their actions. You can tell by their words and so I want to maintain a spirit of adoration I don't want to feel like that he's the master and I'm the servant I, I am 
that is true. He is the master and I am the servant, but I want to adore him. I want to be here tonight because I want to be here. I want to worship him because I want to worship him. I want to lift my hands because I can't keep it down. I want to lift my voice because it will not be muted. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want there to be a sense of adoration. The song writer said, I come to you for even my dress. Amen. So the Lord would clothe us with the garments of his righteousness. Someone that is poor in spirit is constantly speaking about their spiritual needs. And I think that's what we find in the writings of of David in the 51st Psalm. I I read one passage. I want to read several verses here. I'm going to read 12 verses. And the reason I'm reading 12 verses is because I couldn't figure out where to stop. And I'm just being honest. I kept trying to clip here and clip there, and I thought, you know, just forget it. We got time. Let's read all 12. Here's David at the end of himself. At the end of himself. This is after his failing, after his repentance. This is part of his repentance. The Bible said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Then he said, wash me thoroughly or truly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. I think what David was trying to say is, I need thee. I get it. I need thee. And so he starts out and says, have mercy. And then he says, wash me. And then he said, I sinned against you. But I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. But he said, purge me. And he said, make me to hear, and make my bones that have been broken to be restored. Hide your face from my sin, and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit. Cast me not away, Lord. Don't cast me away and restore unto me. And so when you read all of these requests that David is making in one single solitary prayer, this is not a man standing before God saying, I got it. I can handle it. I can take care of it. But it's a man that realizes that I have no power within myself. I have no strength within myself. That doesn't mean he wasn't anointed. It doesn't mean that God's favor had lifted off of his life. 
We, were, we know David and we're introduced to him when he slays Goliath with just a sling and a stone. But if you just keep reading, you're going to find out that David faced a giant again. And on this day, he wasn't so strong. On this day, he wasn't so shrewd. On this day, his accuracy was not what it had been in times past. On, his, on this day, his stamina was not what it had been a few years before. The Bible said that he would have fainted, but someone intercepted and took the sword away from David and slew the Goliath himself or slew the giant himself and this is what that soldier said to David in a moment of weakness in a moment of transparent honesty in a moment when David could have been ashamed this soldier had enough sense about him to look at him and say you're weak you are weak today but you are nevertheless anointed amen your body may be weak but you're still the anointed of God I'm going to tell you today there are moments and seasons that we walk through that we're not dancing on the clouds. Can I get an amen? We're not tearing down walls and leaping over troops. We don't feel like an army, but it's at that moment we realize I may be weak, but I am yet anointed of God. Amen, I may not have everything together. I may not have it all together, but the anointing of God is still upon my life. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Amen. David was making it clear, I must have you. As our musicians come, someone that is poor in spirit understands the power of meekness of heart. Too often men are commonly proud and scornful. But there's something about the poor. There's something about the poor. There's a submissiveness. Amen. I'm going to say that again. If we're not careful when we feel like we got it all together, we can be proud and scornful. But there's a submissive nature to the poor. If he can do anything well, he acknowledges it. And the strength of the Lord is his hope. One writer probably captured it best. I, I love quotes. One writer probably captured it best when he said, as the ship gets more benefit from the wind than the sail. <laughs> if we ever accomplish anything in this life, it will be because the wind of God's spirit is blowing and it won't be the sail of our own endeavor because you get your sail fine you get the finest material and you stretch it as tall as you can get it. But if there is no wind, you're dead in the water. So it's not the sail, but it's the wind that will benefit our lives. And so we must, if we're going to accomplish anything in this life, we're going to need the wind of the Spirit. We're going to need a sail. I'm not discounting that. We're going to need a sail. We're going to need to stretch it as high in the sky as we can get it. But then we're going to have to pray. Now, wind of the Spirit, blow on the efforts that we're making here. Someone that is poor in spirit is a person that has no problem praying at all. This is a man or a woman that sees how short we are on the standard of God's holiness. Therefore, we ask for more grace. I don't mean any offense by this analogy, but a poor man is always begging. The same principle applies to those that are poor in spirit. We're always begging spiritual alms. I've, I've, I've got another need today. It's the dawning of a new day. 
I try to ask the Lord every day for strength for this day because I have no idea what the day holds. Amen. David said, this is the day that the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad. And that's a bold statement because we don't know the content of a day. But we pray for strength for that day. And so someone that is poor in the spirit is always, they're not too proud to beg for spiritual alms. (laughs) I'm back again, Lord. I need some strength. I need some help. I I stumbled and fell yesterday. I, I, I saw an area in my life that was weaker than I supposed it to be. And so I need you to help me. Someone who is poor in the spirit will not, or rather someone that's poor in the spirit will be content with whatever terms the Lord puts on the table. When the Lord said, this is what's going to take, there won't be no argument. Remember the experience of Saul? Saul of Tarsus, a man who, who wrought such havoc upon the church. But in verse chapter 9 and verse number 6, and this was on the road to Damascus with this grand experience. In chapter 9, verse number 6, and he, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? Now, this is not the same man we met previous. <laughs> this is not the same attitude of the man that was holding the garments at the stoning of Stephen. No, uh-uh. this is another man. This is a new man. This is a man that really now understands spiritual depravity. And he says, what would you have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go to the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Now, we, for the sake of time, are not going to read all of that. But if you continue to read, you know that Saul did exactly what the Lord told him to do. There was no arguing. There was no, I got a question. There was no, well, what about? There was no, well, well, what, there was nothing, amen, because someone that is poor in the spirit is going to be content with the terms that God puts on the table. And so when we continue to read, we find him doing that. Yet the proud will demand their own terms. I will, but I want to do it this way or that way, or I want my own, I want my own thing. I want to do it my own way. Someone that is poor in the spirit is very thankful for the grace of God. You know, I was reading, let me say this and. and in close. But I was reading today the story of Lot. An incredible story. And how that after the strife between the herdsmen and the and the parting of the ways, and Lot had already not now living in a tent, but now in a home and and had been delivered by Abraham because of the assault that had come against Sodom and Gomorrah, but then now is being delivered again from the evil that's about to befall that city and there was something that kind of escaped me until today and that was the fact that the Lord was trying to get Lot to go to one place and even on their way out he wanted to go to another place (laughs) wow wow I mean he was debating with the very angels of God on the way out of the city I know you want me to go here but I want to go there Oh, God, help us. Let's stand. Amen. Let's stand. I want to be content with the terms that God puts on the table. Lord, whatever you need for me to do, whatever you want me to do, I don't want to stand at that intersection of demand and need and argue with you. But, Lord, let your spirit power, let your presence touch us. Amen. I wonder tonight if we could close as we started 
But this time, can we just think about it a little differently? Because maybe a moment ago it was just a course. But right now we see things just a tad more clearly. I must have the Lord if I am to make it. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.